0: Thank y'all so much for that. If y'all would turn with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16, Exodus chapter 16, we will look at chapter 16, just the beginning point of Exodus chapter 17, and then we'll turn to the book of Luke and look at more of a New Testament passage that relates to the same issue. Uh, There was a time period in our history where many of you will probably remember the Berlin Wall was torn down, and it was a a pivotal moment in in kind of the history of the world. Uh, It was damage to communism, if not the defeat of communism, to a large extent in that area of the world. And, And you would think that when the wall was torn down, communism was defeated in the area, that there would have been excitement, and there would have been energy, and everybody would have been excited, especially those who were freed, from kind of the communistic tyranny that existed. But really and truly there have been a number of sociologists that have kind of looked at that time period and what they found was a great division within the people. There were some that were excited because they didn't understand what potential existed out of there but they knew that there was great potential and that if they really strived hard for it they might realize something that they could not even begin to dream of the day before there was a whole lot of people who were terrified, who were actually gripped by trepidation because they didn't know what the future held. And while they knew the past was horrible, and they knew the past was well, it was a past with shackles upon them, they also knew they could survive that past. So they might have to stand in line, and they might have to receive bare rations, but they knew the rations would be there. They knew there would be food delivered, and they didn't know what the future held when the government began to shift and change. And a lot of people had excitement, but yet there was this large portion of the population that was scared to death, almost scared so much that they didn't want it to happen. What they would have preferred was to go back to the old way. Guys, sometimes our lives look really horrible to other people and from the outside, and sometimes they look really horrible to us. But just to be honest with you, sometimes we find a comfort zone even in the midst of the horror, and that's where we want to live life. That's where we want to stay, and we're so scared of change, and we're so scared to be driven to something that we don't understand and something that we don't know the outcome of that we will stay there in the midst of the horror. Exodus Chapter 16 and 17, deals with a group of people that is very similar to that. Maybe one of the most profound moments in the Old Testament, for it is remembered by all the prophets and it is constantly gone back to, is the time period when the Israelites were rescued out of Egypt. Moses delivered them and he brought the Hebrew people across a wilderness. But you need to understand something. They were slaves in Egypt for over 400 and some odd years. That had become their way of life. That had become who they were. Did they want freedom? Yes. Did they pray to God for freedom? Yes. The Bible tells us that God heard their prayers. But guys, for forever 400 years. Forever four centuries. That's who they were. That's what had defined them. That's how they lived. And what had happened is they had become accustomed to that. And now comes this man on the scene named Moses the deliverer who God has sent. And we know the stories of the plagues in Egypt, and we know how it got harder on the people in Egypt, and how some of them very quickly turned against Moses and said, Moses, why in the world have you brought more trouble upon us? We would rather simply make bricks. Then Moses delivers them through God's power. And we know the story of the Red Sea as they get up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh is pursuing them and Moses stands before the Red Sea and he prays and the Red Sea splits open and they walk across dry ground. And then when Pharaoh and his army gets in the midst of the Red Sea, it collapses upon them and drowns everybody and they are saved. We think, Man, what? I mean, they had to live through these plagues. They saw the night of the death angel, they knew what the Passover was now. It had been instituted. And now they had seen this amazing occurrence at the Red Sea. Surely their faith would have been bolstered more than most people's. But what you discover is now they're in a wilderness. The a wilderness is not an easy place to traverse. Wilderness is a scary place. book of Mark tells us the only thing that he really mentions about the trial of Jesus when he goes out in the desert, he doesn't give us the details of Matthew where Satan tempts him three times. Basically, Mark just says he went out in the wilderness with the wild animals. It was a scary place. And now they've left Egypt where they were slaves, and they've entered this really scary place. And not only have they entered a really scary place, but, guys, it's hard to live out there. It's hard to come by food. It's hard to come by water. It's hard to find your direction. And what we discover is that the people were very discontent. They were scared. They didn't really understand exactly where they were heading. They understood that wherever they were heading, they were going to have to fight for it. They didn't really understand their present because they didn't know how they were going to get food and how they are going to get water. I mean, it's one thing when you got a family and you got to feed that family and you got to get water. They had... A large group of people. And they had to take care of all of them. And they didn't know how they were going to do it. And what you find within those people is there's this kind of just constant dissatisfaction with how things are going and what's happening. And what you find in them is constantly they're saying, we would rather be slaves back in Egypt. We would have rather just stayed where we were yeah, maybe we would have died working with the bricks and maybe we would have died as slaves. But man, we know we'd have made it longer than we're going to make it out here. The future can be a scary place, especially when we don't understand how everything is laid out for us and how everything's going to work out for us. But God had told them numerous times, if you will trust in me, I will provide for you. If you walk with me, I will take care of you. We know those words. Those words have been given to us. But it doesn't mean that we don't get scared. It doesn't mean that our soul does not sometimes shake within us over the fear of not knowing what the next day holds. We know the passages in the New Testament that tells us that if God will take care of the sparrow, how much more likely is he to take care of us? We are his children. If he adorns the flowers of the field, how much more does he take care of his children? Because it's hard to trust in. It's hard to believe in, and it is hard to base your life in that reality. That's what the Israelites had to do. That's what the Hebrew people had to do. Look in chapter 16. We'll begin our reading in verse 1, and we'll just go a little ways into this. And We kind of know the story, I would think, uh, and, and I'll highlight some of the uh, larger facets of it. Um, but we'll just go through verse 12. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in the desert to starve This entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know. And it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because... He has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites tell them, At twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God." And of course, this is the famous passage of the manna that falls from the sky. So in the morning time, when they would wake up and the dew would dry up off the ground, there was tiny flakes of things that they didn't even know what it was. They couldn't identify it. And Moses had to tell them, this is what God has provided you to eat with. And the instructions were that they would go out and they would get just enough for their family. So the heads of the family had to go out and collect this manna. And that they would put it in this container and you only could have one container of it per person. If you got any more of that, guess what? It dissipated. If you got less because there wasn't enough there, it automatically filled. So everybody got one container of this manna. And that's all you had for the day. And God's instruction was that you eat on this throughout the day. And in the evening time, I will provide you with meat. The meat that he provided with, was quail that came across and lighted in the desert. So in the evening times, they would have all the quail that they needed to eat so that they would have the protein to sustain them. And during the daytime, they would have this manna that was provided to them. But God gives them further instructions as well. He says, I will take care of you even so much to the point that you will not have to work on the Sabbath. So on the sixth day, when the manna comes, you collect two of your containers, double what you would on any other day. And that way you will not have to pick it up on the Sabbath for none will appear. But get this. God also tells them that if they do not eat their entire container, it will spoil overnight. So if you gather a container and you only eat half of it thinking I'll save half for tomorrow just in case the man is not there in the morning. I got to tell you, that's probably my first thought. Well, my first thought is probably I need a bigger container. <laughs> I'm a big man. Uh, it takes a lot of bread. I like my rolls. But my second thought would have been, if I eat all this today and I wake up in the morning and the manna ain't back, man, it would be so much nicer if I rationed this and I only ate half of it today, and then I guarantee myself when I wake up in the morning and I got half my container, you know what would happen when they would wake up in the morning? Because some of them did it. It would spoil It would become rancid. It would would stink. I was just flipping through a couple of commentary passages on this, and one of them said it should be generally stank. I was like, that's bad when something stanks. it, it, It had worms in it. It turned gross. You wouldn't even want to open the container. And God says, I did this so that it may be proven to you that I will take care of you. Do you understand the point that he's making with that? If you're gathering it up and you've got this container and you're thinking, oh, if I eat half, I guarantee myself a half for tomorrow, what you're really saying is I'm going to start taking care of myself with what God has provided me. I can figure out how to get two days out of only being taken care of one day. And what God is trying to say is, guys, I've got you. If there's a red sea there that you cannot cross and a Pharaoh breathing down your neck, I can part it and you can walk across. If you don't know what direction you're going, man, I can send a cloud of fire to to give you the direction. If you are starving to death, I can drop bread out of the heavens. If you need protein, I will give you as many quail as you want. I can take care of you. You don't take care of yourself. That is a hard lesson to learn. And we have difficulty with it. We give lip service to it. And if anybody asked us how we have survived this far, we would certainly say God. But the way we behave is much like the Israelite community. The way we behave is much like the Hebrew people who demonstrate time and time and time again that they've lost that trust and they truly do not believe. This past summer, we went to Panama City in a youth camp and we roomed with another group. And they were from St. Louis. And the youth minister was in the room and we got to chat quite a bit. He was an individual. He came to a small church. I think the kids in our room are like six boys. I think they brought 10 kids with them. It was a struggling church. Matter of fact, the church itself had combined with another church just so that it could make it, and both those churches were kind of struggling together. He was a youth minister for 10 years. He left youth ministry. He went on to kind of work in in the healthcare industry, and he had become a a manager in a high-up corporation, and, and really he was doing quite well in St. Louis. And one day the youth minister left the church. And he said, I felt God say, that's what you need to do. You've been out now for 14 years, but I want you to go and work with these youth. And he said, and then I looked at it, and it was a small church. It was a struggling church. And let me just tell you, the salary was not the salary I was making where I was. He said, but I could not get this nagging sense out of my head and out of my heart. This is what God wants you to do this is what I'm calling you to. He said, so I did the hardest thing I could possibly do. I set my wife down (laughs) to tell her that I was about to quit my job and take a pay that was less than half of what I was making. And he said, when I told her, she embraced me and went, I want you to follow God. And he said, I've never been happier in my life. Guys, that's faith. It's faith. I'm looking at this guy going, great job. I don't know if I'd do it, but great job. Now, I would hope I would do it. Don't get me wrong. I would hope that if God called me to leave a place where I was making my living and go somewhere where I was making a third of what I made, I would have the faith to say God will take care of me and he'll provide for my needs so often we give lip service to the care of God. We don't live it out in our life. If Jesus looked at us like he looked at the rich young ruler and said, give everything away that you have, sell it, give it to the poor, then come back and follow me and trust in me to meet your needs. And we're looking at a man who once said to an individual, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He's looking at this person who has wealth and saying, come follow me and I don't even have a place to lay my head, but give up everything that you have and follow me. And the rich young ruler walks away disappointed and sad. I dare say that there are many among us who would walk away disappointed and sad. Because we don't have the faith and we don't have the trust. Because we understand in our heads that we need Him every single moment of life because every breath that we take in is because of our God. And everything that we possess is because of our God. And we know that God can do miraculous things, but it's a struggle. I mean, look at the Hebrew people. They just woke up in the morning, there's bread on the ground. In the evening time, there's quail. They understand that God is taking care of them day by day by day. And then if you turn to chapter 17... Chapter 17, verses 1 through 7, they encounter another problem. Now they got the food. What do you think now they are? They're thirsty. It's the desert. They ain't got no water. So now they got the bread in the morning, the quail in the evening, and they're like, but we're about to thirst to death. Oftentimes when God meets our need here, what we discover is we still have needs. Not all our needs are met. Not everything that we want is there. The Hebrew people needed food. There's no doubt. Yes, we're Baptists, you know how cranky we would be if we were starving? Moses had seen nothing yet. If that, those people have been Baptist and not Jewish, they ain't no telling what would have happened to Moses in there. We need our food. You get thirsty, and I, I still remember playing sports and just going, I'm hoping soon they will give us a break for some water, and just shoving my head up under a faucet while I was going full speed to see how much water, I'd get sick at my stomach, cause I was trying to take so much water. Thirst is aggravating, and now the Hebrew people are saying, Moses, Aaron, look, you We got the food, but now we're about to thirst to death. Oh, we wish we were back in Egypt. Because even though we had to work hard and we had to make those bricks and we had to do all those things, at least we had something to drink. And God says, Moses, go out there and I want you to hit a rock and I will provide water from a rock. Sure enough. He goes out there, he hits a rock, and here comes water pure drinking water out of a rock. You would think the Hebrew people would go, man, we were hungry and he gave us bread and quail. We were thirsty and he gave us water from a rock. Surely whatever need we have, he can provide for. Did that happen? No. And we hold them accountable for it, but yet we do this every day of our life. Reflect upon your life And think of all the ways that God has taken care of you. Just for a moment, reflect upon your life and think of all the ways that God has cared for you. Whether it be through your health or whether it be through uh, answering a prayer or or whether it be through establishing you. Because I can recount numerous things that God has done for me. It doesn't take very long. But you know what? Tomorrow, when I get in a situation where I really need them, what I discover is oftentimes my doubt is more than my faith. And I hate that. I despise that. But it's a reality of most people because even if we don't like the past, we know what the past is. We don't know what the future is. So we would rather live dissatisfied in a place that God has not called us to because we feel like we have survived it for so long that we know we can survive it still. Guys, God has not called us to survive in this world. God has called us to thrive. Not in the sense of the world. Not in the sense that you might have all the wealth and not in the sense that you might drive the car that you want to drive. To drive the vehicle I want to drive. It's not like I want to go. I went out going, man. I really hope I come across a 2008 truck. But that's what I drive, and it's nice. I appreciate it. I love it. Which Pj would probably tell you if I won the lottery, I'd still drive the same truck. That's who I am. <laughs> I had the same tractor. I had the same truck. I had the same house. That's just who I am. there's a a sense where what God wants us to have is something that is much more important than material things. He wants us to have peace. And if you're worried about what tomorrow holds and you're worried about how every little thing that you need in life to sustain life is going to come about and you can't trust in God and have faith in God, guys, you ain't never going to have peace. The only thing in this world, and I believe this, the only thing that can give us the peace that we need is God. I don't know how you cannot believe in God and still sustain peace. Because as Paul talks about in a passage I read yesterday at Mr. Jim's funeral, we are hard-pressed from every side. We are absolutely perplexed. Everything is coming against us. How do we withstand that without God? It's impossible yet so often what we do is we choose to live life without faith in the one who can truly sustain us and the one who can truly answer our needs if you would turn with me to the book of Luke book of Luke chapter 10 this is just not an old testament principle this is a new testament principle And it's a 21st century principle. We've got to learn how to trust in God to carry us through each and every moment of life. In chapter 10 of Luke, Jesus is sending out 72, and he says this, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse, a bag, sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever you give, uh, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome to eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town uh, sticks to our feet. We wipe off against you, yet be sure of this kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus is sending out 72 before him. This is the places that he's about to go. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take a message with you. And I want you to tell these people that the kingdom of God is near. And I want you to heal the sick. And I want you to deliver this message to everybody. He says, some of them will not receive you. Those that do not receive you, wipe the dust off your feet. This is something that we see Paul do in the book of Acts. It's a symbolic gesture much like saying I wash my hands of you I've given you what you need if you will not receive it too bad and move on but I want you to notice how he sends them out in the beginning number one he doesn't lie to them he says I'm sending you out there like lambs among wolves in other words guys that ain't good to be a lamb in a wolf pack that ain't a good thing That's what Jesus tells his disciples. I am sending you out into the world like lambs among wolves. How do you survive? Toss a lamb in the midst of a wolf pack. I can promise you it ain't going to last long. So how are we going to survive? If this is the mission and the call that Christ is giving his disciples, if it is the mission and call that he's given us, then how do we survive that call? Only one way. God is the only way that we do it. God is the only way that we achieve it. God is the only way that we answer his call. God is the only one who can sustain us. Because the world is a perilous place. It's a scary place. And the only way that we can transcend what comes against us on a daily basis is through the power of God. But in the same instance, he says, I'm sending you out there like lambs among wolves, but don't prepare. He says, "Do not take a purse or a bag, sandals. Do not greet anyone on the road." In other words, don't make preparation for yourself. Why? What it ain't gonna matter. What they never? Have you ever tried to plan out something and, and, and say, "All right, I got it all planned out," and then like halfway through, it all fall apart anyway. Some people are great at preparation. There are amazing individuals at preparation. I'm not one of them, per se, but there are some people who can lay out every single detail. I mean, I can remember being a youth minister and trying to lay out every single detail on youth trips. And one of the things I come to understand is no matter how detailed I got about the details I laid out, it never worked out like I thought it was going to work out. Something would happen. Driving back from Jackson one time, brakes went out in the van. That wasn't on my schedule. Bring kids home from Jackson one time, the accelerator stuck in the van. Couldn't go below 55. That wasn't on my schedule. About 50% to 65% of the youth I took uh, on trips for the first five years of my 10-year youth ministry, cops were called at some point. That wasn't on my schedule. Nothing really bad. And they did bury a Tahoe on the Alabama beach. But um, other than that, guys, I try to lay all the details out. I try to think about every contingency. I try to think about everything that was possible. And what I discovered is life don't allow you to do that. Changes come, things that we don't expect. i can still remember the time and i will always remember this time i went to oklahoma on a mission trip left out on saturday pj was uh carrying micah we had let's see this was in june he was supposed to come september 11th i left out saturday morning going to oklahoma got a call at 6 30 sunday morning saying that pj was in the hospital and before she left the hospital, we would have a child. Like, somebody should have told him it was September. Had to turn around come back from Oklahoma the next day. That wasn't on my schedule. Guys, no matter how much you plan, no matter how much you lay out, life just tends to destroy our plans. That's why the book of James says, everything that you say you're going to do tomorrow, you better say if it is the Lord's will. there's got to be a recognition that what carries us through that is not our planning, not our preparation not our strength and not our wisdom what carries us through life and what guides us through those moments and what allows us to overcome the difficulties is God himself and I've got to come to the realization that every single moment of every single day I'm in the hands of God and it is the only thing that comforts me See, so often when we think of the grace of God, we think of the grace of God that saves us. I will tell you the grace of God saved me, but every day of my life I live in his grace as well. It's not just a salvation thing. It is a life thing. Let us understand how much we need our God. Let us understand how much our God provides for us. Let us understand who our God is. And stop trying to take the reins back from him and actually experience the peace of resting in the hands of an eternal God who has providential care and who has the most tremendous love for you that you could ever imagine. Rest upon his everlasting arms and you will find peace as though you never found it before. May God lift us in his righteous right hand. May God carry us through the fires and through the waters. May God sustain us every day of our life and may in his sustaining powers we answer his call. Let us pray. God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for all that you've given us and we thank you, Lord, for your sustaining power. We thank you for the fact that you walk with us and that you do carry us. God, I pray that when we are in need, we understand where the answer lies. Lord, truly, it is in you. I pray that we will understand, Lord, that we do not go anywhere without you. And when our plans are disruptive and when they're thrown awry, Lord, it is you that will sustain us. It is you that will carry us. It is you that will bring us forward. And I pray, Lord, that we will not be a people who are so scared of an uncertain future that we desire a simple, defeated past. But Lord, we will journey forward with courage because you are a God who did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. And may we go forward into that future, answering the call that you have given us and truly embracing all that you have called us to. And God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. This morning, uh, we uh, have a time of invitation. Any decisions need to be made in a public fashion, feel free to come forward this time. If you'll please stand.